Hey, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws. This podcast is all about empowering leaders to create a better, more meaningful work environment. And at Zenium, who hosts and sponsors this podcast, we're out to transform workplaces. That's our mission. We're out to help small, medium-sized organizations transform their culture for the better so we can do great work and you can fulfill your mission as an organization. So in today's episode, I am joined by Sony Bassi. Sony is Edelman's global chief people officer, and we're discussing Edelman's, they do an annual trust barometer. It's a big report, lots of great data. And so we're talking about that report and Sony offers tips for how employers can foster greater trust and connection in the workplace, how to engage more people. So make sure to listen to the full interview. You're going to get a lot of great insights about how to put people first, embrace change, and restore trust in the workplace. If you love today's episode, make sure to go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show and give a five-star rating. We appreciate that. We've been growing this podcast like crazy, and it's just so fun to see the growth and that we're making an impact on in so many people and their workplaces. I love doing what I'm doing. I'm really finding joy in doing this podcast because of all the awesome conversations and the fact when I hear from some of you listening and you're talking about how you're using some of these things in your workplace, like that is so meaningful to know that we're making a difference. So thank you for the support. If you love this episode and you love the show overall, a rating and review is awesome. But the best thing you can honestly do is share it with somebody who's never listened to this podcast before. So thanks for the support. Enjoyed the conversation with Sony Bassi. Sony, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Brandon. So you're with Edelman, and every year Edelman comes out with a trust barometer. How does it all work? Absolutely. So, And I have just recently joined Edelman, so just want to share that for a moment. I joined in May of 2022. So for me, as I was joining the organization, learning about the trust barometer after hearing about it from the outside, I was just really intrigued by what we do on the inside. And I'm happy to share a little bit more of the details around the data with you all today. But the trust barometer, essentially, the one that I can speak to is it's measuring employee sentiment in organizations today. So it's a really wonderful tool for organizations to take a look at to get a sense of where their employee sentiments are on a variety of topics. Uh, And one that we recently did, which I think would be important for the listeners of your podcast, is around employee sentiment in particular. Yeah, I always love this report because it seems like the trust ebbs and flows. I mean, you've got government, you you got big media companies, you've got your own employer, you got friends and family. There's just so many, so many different inputs that we have on a regular basis. And there was one line in in the report that I thought was interesting. It said that trust is local. What's that in reference to? Yeah, it's so it's so fascinating. So, you know, as I think about, for example, the the relationships that I have in my life, more generally speaking, so many of my great friendships have actually formed out of the workplace. And so, <laughs> I agree. right? Like are yours too? Yes, no, 100%. Yes. yes. And so 
When trust is local, what that really gets to is that the number one source of trust for employees right now we're finding is their coworker. That's so weird. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's weird, but it's not. But it's, not. It's, it's shocking, it, but it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily weird because I, I actually feel that personally. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the data collected and that's what the people are saying. Yeah, and, and it's okay. So this trust study that that I'm referencing was actually seven thousand people in seven countries around the world. So you, we had about a thousand people in every country, right? So this phenomenon cuts across every one of those countries. I can't speak to countries outside, but you can almost hypothesize that it would be the same in other workplaces around the world. And in fact, actually what you see is that other groups have seen a bit of a decline in terms of trust. So whether it's your manager, the head of HR, me, the CEO, right? Like those are actually declining a little bit in trust, but the coworker is the most trustworthy within an organization. Where does the coworker stack against like friends and family? After friends and family, the workplace is the most important source of community to people. So if you think about that, right, and you think about how many people are in your community from the workplace itself, but like you think about your community of church or your community of schools or your parents or other things that might be important to you, after friends and family and all those other communities, it's the workplace and coworkers as the number one most trusted, then your manager, then HR, then then the CEO. The the HR comment that you just made of being next to the CEO as far as like lower on the trust scale, why do you think that is? I mean, you're a head of HR. How do you how do you get people to trust you more? Yeah, well, you know, the last few years, I would say in particular, have been really tough on the HR profession overall. And as we are, you know, getting into a period of time as we're moving forward, where a lot of organizations are facing headwinds and, you know, the recession is looming and we've had so much happening across the last couple of years related to expectations from what the HR team can offer the organization, whether it's around social unrest, stronger employee network groups or resource groups around diversity, how we're doing around diversity. Like there's a lot of expectations from the HR function to really step up and be there where the people need them to be. And unless they see that, unless they can see that you're truly there and you're truly committed to being a people-first organization, I think that organizations will continue to kind of find that the role of HR maybe isn't as trusted. And I actually, if I could, I just wanted to to focus on that one point about being a people-first organization, which is something that's really important to me personally as a leader of this profession, but also within Edelman. Sometimes it's really easy to say being people first, like it's like saying, oh yeah, finance wants a balanced budget, right? Like it's really easy to say, but being people first is very difficult to actually do in practice. And I think this is what we're seeing in the trust data as well. For you to say, put people first, what does that mean to you exactly? Like in terms of actual practice and behavior from your standpoint, like what, what should an employer do to make sure that they're focused on people first? It's definitely not like doing everything <laughs> that, that employees ask of you. You got to pick and choose and you got to have some data to know what's important to your people. And there's a few layers to it, right? The first is as a people team and a leader of a people team, I need my team to be performing or acting in the ways that we expect of others. So that's number one. And that might look simple as in what are we doing for a hybrid work environment right now, right? So are we coming into the office as we're asking our own people to do? That's that's part of 
the equation. So it's how my team shows up. The second is that we have to connect the dots for our people of what's important. So if we stand up and say, we're an organization that is committed to the LGBTQIA plus community, and all we do is change our logo colors during Pride Month or raise the flag, um, but we don't carry it through into benefits policies or the ways of working or to the reach out into the community, then it's just symbolic, right? It's like your values being on the wall, but you're not really living your values. Lip service is what it is. Exactly. So being people first to me means that we're really pulling it through all the way in terms of what we hear is important, looking at our on our, our own organizational dynamics and seeing what's important to our, our people and then pulling it yeah. all the way through. You mentioned the last couple of years, pandemic's been hard. I mean, in an HR profession, I'm sure you've seen a lot of change. The workplace has changed. People have changed. Their, their needs and their desires have changed. Where do you see work shifting in the future, like from here on out? I mean, we've, we've learned a lot over the last couple of years. We have learned a lot. And, you know, one of the things that's really important is around societal issues. I think that that's one of the biggest shifts that I've seen in the organizations I've worked in over the last couple of years. And I'm sure our own HR professionals are finding that as well. People want their employer to stand up for what they see as right, right? So they want to work for a company that espouses their own values and then really talks about those. So in many ways, the workplace, as I said, with the workplace being one of the, you know, after friends and family, the most important source of community, what that means as well is that within the workplace, employees are looking for their employer to talk about societal issues. They're looking for the employer to step in, perhaps where governments are failing them around the world. And so I would say that that's probably the most radical shift that I've seen in the last couple of years. So much of that has happened because of everything we're experiencing externally, whether that started with Black Lives Matter or even further back with the Me Too movement, the murder of George Floyd, we know, ignited so much change within organizations, as well as like an ask to really step up. And I remember back when, you know, organizations around Black Lives Matter were starting to post um, social media that was meant for their clients, right? They're like, we support Black Lives Matter within the organization. Employees weren't seeing that same level of, of reflection. Interesting. So you're saying like it's more marketing PR play for their clients, but not internally talking about it. Yeah, it's fascinating. Right. And so I think that was the big pivot point for organizations to realize employees are looking to us to to step in and show us that, you know, our voices matter within the organization, that we might be feeling the impact of the murder of George Floyd, for example, and that we might want to be talking about it. And since then, that's transformed into things like climate change, which has become a major topic of conversation, certainly within a lot of organizations, right? It's becoming more and more a topic of conversation. I'm actually just really proud of the work we're doing at Edelman for our own clients, but also for our own people and like training them on, on climate change and how they can impact client organizations. So it's climate change, it's Black Lives Matter, it's the war in Ukraine, it's like gun violence, it's Roe v. Wade decisions or other decisions that are pending from SCOTUS in the United States. It's a long answer to your very simple question of what's changed, but I would say that that's where I see the changes. When I was reading the trust report and I, I saw that ranking pretty high, like employees are looking to their employer more than ever for communication 
of maybe values alignment or whatever on, on these particular topics. And I, I never would have thought employers would have got involved in that. But I, I can see that people, people are trusting their employers more than they're trusting governments or, or big media companies. So it's not surprising. It's like surprising in some ways, but not really surprising. But like, you know, you're ahead of HR. And I'm sure you've talked with, you know, other senior leaders around the table about how do we talk about issues like these when like, do we take a stance? Do we not take a stance? Like, what if we have nothing to say? Have you thought about a lot of that stuff and fleshed it out? Like every single week. Yes, <laughs> it's, <hard. laughs> it's really hard. I, I'll just tell you a little, I mean, I'll just tell you a story. My first week that I joined at Edelman, maybe it was my second week, it was very early on. The conversations I was having was about Roe v. Wade, which I you know a topic in the United States, but that mattered to a lot of women and men around the world because it was setting a tone for rights, right? And so the conversation I was having in that very first week was, what is our stance? Right. So those, to your point, we had groups of individuals who had to come together from legal and HR, from the business to talk through how do we want to say it? Like the words mattered, you know, and there was so much conversation to be very specific about it around like, do you use the word abortion in an email? Right. Or do you keep it to reproductive rights? Right. So what do you want to say? How do you want to say it? And what are you going to do? If anything, what is your stance? respecting that people could be anywhere on that continuum in their belief system. And as an organization, you might take a stand knowing that in our industry anyway, our clients have a particular stance and point of view. So we have to be respectful and honor their points of view while we represent our own internal points of view. And in that case, like looking at the data in the United States, we're over 70% women. And so we, you know, looking at the data, looking at our benefits plans, thinking about our point of view, we were able to come up with our own recommendations. But that type of analysis we do on a regular basis on a number of issues. And actually, we have a tool at Edelman that I use for clients that we use internally called the Societal Issues Navigator. And that really helps you make some decisions on which topics are most important, why they're important to you, and, you know, on a continuum, what you may want to do about those issues. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. You, you talked earlier about people first. It, to me, this is an, a prime example that you're collecting data, you're listening to your employees, you're talking to them, and and then you're doing something about it. You're making gradual shifts inside of an organization, like what is what do the employees care about? And then you're talking about them, you're maybe shaping your benefits plans or policies around what employees want. And that's, to me, that's walking the talk. Yeah. And, and I will say like, it can't be lip service, right? To the point earlier, because, you know, when I started talking about this, I said, if this is going to be our stance and we're going to say something about this, then we need to realize that two years from now, there might be more women who have children who want to come into the workforce, who, who have left the workforce and need to re-enter. We need to create pathways for them to come in, right? That's even that might not be going far enough, but that is like how you bring it through. You can't just have a voice on one side and then as a people team or people function, not pull it all the way through. So I think people deserve to see the end to end of what your plans are. If you're speaking to an employer right now that is they're struggling with trust with their employees like they whether they did something or whether they just have a certain group of employees that just inherently just don't trust them how does an employer go about building trust restoring trust i mean from your perspective what can be done yeah what a great 
great question. I think that, you know, once you've lost a little bit of trust, it's it's really difficult to get it back. Um, but there are ways that you can get it back. I think the first thing is it's always up to the leadership team to start, one, to become aware of it. Right. If you're not aware of it, then, you know, you're you're going to continue to make the same mistake over and over again. So if you're aware of it, let's assume that you are. The first step is as a leadership team to start to role model what you're really all about. So if you've lost trust and there's a way to start saying, let me let me walk the talk. I think that's step number one. I think this step number two is really around showing through specific actions how you can rebuild the trust. So for us, we say at Edelman, action builds trust, right? There's the only way to build trust is through repeated behaviors and actions that people expect to see or want to see that can build the trust. So those can look like listening sessions. And I think listening sessions are probably overrated. Sorry, underrated. I should say underrated. I didn't mean to say overrated. They're underrated because it can be so powerful. And I'll give you an example. Richard Edelman will host listening sessions with some of our employees, not because we've lost trust, but because employees have something on their mind, like climate change, for example. And it's those types of conversations that can really be pivotal for people because they, one, have an audience with somebody who's very senior in the organization. So it can be any leadership team member. It doesn't have to be the CEO. It's very powerful when it comes from the CEO. Number two, it it not only gives them the audience, but it gives them a voice. And then three, when you carry through that voice into actions, you can actually connect it back. And people see that, and that's how you start to rebuild the trust that you may have lost. You said before that employees are the heart of the companies. Expand on that, and and also maybe as a secondary layer to that, like how do you, as an employer, make sure that your people feel that? So, yeah, I, I do think employees are the heart of the organization because without them, what would you, what would you be, what, you, <laughs> what would you be doing? No you couldn't make anything. You, Brandon, you wouldn't have anyone to speak to. But you know, there's always that uh, saying. I don't know who came up with it first. So I'm not going to try to attribute it, but strategy eats culture for lunch. Right, or is, is it the other way around? I want to make I, yeah, culture eats strategy for lunch, something like yeah. Culture eats strategy. <laughs> so thank you for correcting me today. The idea is that your employers are your culture carriers, and your employees are very powerful in that way. So if there is something that they want to see or do, there are so many ways for them to activate uh, outside of you. Right. So it's better if you can activate with them versus that they are on platforms, um, on different social channels, whatever those are, whether it's Fishbowl, I think in healthcare, there's other um, external social media channels where employees are, are active. So I would say that it's really important to be connected and engaging with your people so that they can come to you. And so I know things like employee surveys can be really important things to, you know, to organizations, the listening sessions that I mentioned, but also I I would say, you know, for the HR professionals listening today, how progressive your people strategy is and how connected it is to what your people are looking for, putting them at the heart of everything that you do 
is is important. And I will never discount the importance of strategy for an HR professional and knowing the business really well. But it's how do you make sure that you're the advocate for your people at those really tough conversations as well? Over the last like 12 months, we've heard terms like great resignation, great reshuffle, quiet quitting was a thing a little bit ago. I mean, people are leaving. There's no doubt. I mean, we've we've all experienced it. What do they say they're leaving for? Is there a, a reason, like one reason? Is there multiple reasons? Um, from your perspective, you know, Edelman's collected a lot of data, but you've seen it as an HR professional. Like what's going on? So people do leave. Uh, and in your exit surveys that we all love to Another do, data collection point. Another <laughs> data collection point. The exit surveys will typically say they're leaving for more compensation. You and I know that that's not the reason you take the call in the first place. You're more than likely, if you're changing jobs, you're going to get more compensation. So by the time you're doing that exit survey, that's what you're going to say because you don't want to burn any bridges. But I have been in this field for a very long time. I started my career actually as in, in the employee engagement survey world. So for seven years, I was looking at this data for organizations. So it's like kind of coming back home into the work that Edelman does for our own clients. But the reasons that individuals leave, they still leave their job for because of their manager or about the kind of the local community, right? So when you think about how important the coworker is, followed by the manager in sense of creating that sense of community. If they're not feeling that cohesion at that local level, they're looking for another place that they can kind of call the home away from home, right? Essentially is that that's what they're saying outside of your, you know, your home and your friends and family outside of the workplace, that's home for you. So they're looking for that. The second is it continues to be around careers and the opportunities to develop. And I will say that that has actually changed quite a bit in my perspective in the last few years, right? People are now looking to work from different places, different locations. I've seen people make very unique choices for their careers that I would not have expected. Like I keep hearing about, you know, new, I want to go try out a juice bar. I want to go try, you know, working from, uh, I have a colleague of mine who went to Cancun and she was working from there, you know, for the last couple of years. And, and so people have kind of changed how they're working, when they're working and the why of their working as well. So from a career development standpoint, I think as a people function, we really have to be in tune with what people want for their careers moving forward. And, you know, it can be scary to think about, well, do we want more freelancers or what's the gig economy all about? But I think we're going to have to start embracing that more and more. And I would say that the final thing that's really connected around, you know, why people are leaving organizations is sometimes it's around the strategy, right? Like, do you feel good about where the organization is headed? And I think that continues for people to be a real pull is, do I see where this company is going? Um, and am I connected to the values of this organization? So as we are more and more vocal about what we stand for as an organization, people will vote with their feet and say, I'm aligned to it. I'm not aligned to it. And people want to work for an organization that has purpose and that connects to their values. Yeah, that, that actually makes me think of, of a question that comes up often for me, which is like, 
you know, if people want to work for a company that they're aligned with from a vision perspective or just the mission of the organization and even just like where they're headed as a company, a lot of companies are not vocal about that. They, they don't communicate their vision, their mission, or even like financial goals or anything like that. And I, but I think that's what connects employees to like, do I want to, do I want to spend the next five years here? I mean, that's maybe an anomaly. Like most people don't probably spend that much time there, but if you don't communicate it at all, like how employees are left to make it up in their head about whether or not they fit. So, I mean, speak to the employers right now. Like how often should we be communicating this? What do we communicate to make sure that like the right people are fitting with us long-term? And if people want to self-select out, they have the option to do that too, because, you know, like I just don't see myself being here because I don't align or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, when when this podcast airs, um, it will be around the time when a lot of uh, companies are either like closing out their year end performance or they're about to kick off. Right. So speaking to to all of the the group at that time, there's no better time than around the performance management season. One first to say thank you to your people and to, you know, let them know how their contributions have really impacted the business, right? I think a lot of people will do that, but it's great to be able to add some specifics around here's what we were trying to achieve. Here's how we kind of are landing at the end of the year. Number two, as you're kicking off your goal setting, it is so important to share with people what the short-term and the long-term goals are of your organization. I think that's that's a time when people are really looking to set their own goals, but managers have to make that real for their teams, right? So managers have to be able to come back and say, company's goals are here, our division or business unit is going to be doing X in support of the organization's growth. And here's how we fit into it. And here's how specifically you fit into it. You might think that you are just, you know, the spreadsheet guru for this team. And here is, you are the spreadsheet guru and here's how it's impacting our numbers for this part of the business, because this is what we're trying to achieve, right? Like help the individuals connect the dots to the bigger picture. I'd say if you can do that um, at the start of your fiscal or your financial year, and when you're setting your goals, that's really key. If your leadership team has quarterly quarterly town halls, that's even better. I, I was at a pharmaceutical company about, I think it was about 10 or 15 years ago. And I think our CEO, really well known in the industry, Fred Hassan, he was phenomenal at doing this. He had one slide and it had like four chevrons across the top and like a few little notes across the rest of the slide. And he would always put a star and say, we are here on our strategic journey. Every single town hall started with that. So you always knew what you were working toward and you there was no question, right? And I, I thought that was brilliant. Just get it down on one simple slide. What are employees worried about right now? How are you wanna take this approach? Maybe a couple internal things that employers can control. And I mean, I know employers employees are worried about it, like inflation and just global stuff. So I don't know if an employer probably can't do much about that, but what are they worried about? Because if we're putting people first, as an employer, we've gotta address their needs. Like we can't control inflation, but we might be able to control, control compensation or the, the worries that come with inflationary pressure. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are on the, the whole worried. You know, I think about, about these dynamics in a few different ways in terms of the external dynamics. So I think about just in the past few years as we've been talking through this, like how much of a focus has been on 
the business and how much business has changed. The automation, the digital, how we connect with customers has fundamentally changed. The ways of working that we spoke about earlier. So there's a lot of anxiety for employees on the hybrid versus a remote, right? The visibility factor versus like the cost of commuting sometimes into the office or the time, the perceived cost, whether it's time or it's it's actual cost. The ways in which um, they want to work as well and what they want to work on. And also just how the marketplace has fundamentally shifted. So in that, with that backdrop, and now I would say, you know, what our trust barometer has found is that employees are really worried about a looming recession. So 48% of employees globally are worried about, about the looming recession. So they want to feel like they are in a place of trust where they feel safe to speak up, to express their feelings. And so that's one. I would say the second is um, a lack of training or skills because in, with this background of how much has changed in terms of how we're working, what we're working on, how we're engaging with customers, like how many more digital platforms came up in the last two years because we can reach our customers, right? So now employees are saying like, oh, wait, maybe I don't have the skill sets that I need for the future. And so how do we make sure we reskill or upskill the workforce for tomorrow? And there's there's a lot of other things around like offshoring or, you know, cheaper foreign competitors that are popping up all over the place. And so those are those will continue to be worries, I think, for people. What you touched on earlier, though, I do want to talk about like the you, you mentioned, you know, how do you help employees who might be worried about the looming recession? And you've got the cost of, you know, energy, right, the energy crisis in certain parts of the world. You've got disasters that are happening that impact our people's homes um, when you've got a hurricane whipping through or you've got, you know, there's so many uh, issues that they're grappling with. And I think that that is a place where HR can be fairly creative in helping their, their people. We are looking at options for our own people in terms of what we can do. You can't you know, I think one of the pieces of feedback and especially around the merit process for next year, I'm sure companies will all find, you, you know, you can't, your merit increases are not going to be in line with inflation because inflation is so high, right? So how do you distribute those dollars, for example, across your workforce? And actually we, our um, fiscal year is, uh, it's, July 1 to June 30th. So I saw some of the data and I was really proud that we, you know, put more, way more of our merit dollars towards the most junior levels in our organization and very few dollars to the most senior levels in our organization to really help those that are going to be impacted the most by inflation. Not to say that we're not all impacted, but some people feel it more than others will, right? Or the same for energy. So we're trying to take a look at what we can collectively do. And I've heard of leaders, not only within Edelman, but in other organizations really want to do the right thing to help their people with that big worry when they're seeing, you know, their heating costs go from 100 pounds in a month to 500 pounds in a month. Like a person on a regular salary just can't afford that right. kind of a jump. So... I would love to end by asking you a few things about you. You've got a, you've had a great HR career. I think you have a unique perspective. I mean, especially work for a global organization. So, what I mean, what are a couple best practices that you can share with listeners about 
creating a, a great employee experience. I mean, you've touched on a lot today, but if there's, let's say you're, you're, you're a small organization, you're an HR person inside of a small organization and, and you need to choose a few things because you have limited budget, limited time, whatever it is, what do you do? Well, I think the first thing is, is, you know, for me is always, I might sound a little hokey, but, you know, <laughs> I really love, Bring it on. <laughs> I love my work. And I always say that I have the best job at any organization because I truly think being a people first organization, having a people first mentality changes the way that you think about the workforce and about what you can do to pivot your own workforce. So I would say like, that's one of my, I know it's not necessarily a quote-unquote best practice in the sense, but it's my practice in terms of what I bring to the table uh, when I join an organization. In terms of some of the best practices I think that anyone can pick up, it's I would say the first is just really know your team, right? Really know the people that are within your organization or that are on your team. It's so important and might sound so obvious to my peers listening today, like, duh, no brainer, right? But I can't tell you like how important that has been to me. It's sitting down and having a coffee, even when I don't have the time for it and making the time for it or doing skip level meetings that um, help me to connect to the real issues, identify the roadblocks that might be preventing progress on projects or for individuals who maybe deserve the visibility but are not getting it because their own managers are you know not not giving them enough room to shine and so you're able to really spotlight individuals but really get to know your organization and your team so I would say that that's one the second practice I would say is right being a mentor as well as being a sponsor. And, and I know that these are very general and I can talk more about specifics, specific projects if you want, but being a mentor and, a, and being a sponsor are two different things, but they're, they're equally important. So taking the time to share your story, taking the time to take on one or two individuals who you really feel like you can help within the organization by giving them advice and helping to develop them, I feel strongly about. And then third would be being a sponsorship, being a true advocate for talent. So when you know, you're discussing the future of the organization, who's going to be the next, you know, leadership group, that you're actually being able to talk about individuals who you're like, you know what, these are the two or three names that I want to make sure because I see the skill set and I see them as emerging talent or I've seen them in terms of different areas of the business really being able to hit it out of the park that we just need to make sure that they get the next roles that they truly deserve. So being that sponsor as well. I'd say those are, those are a few of the, the best practices that I've used in my career. Last thing is probably a, you're probably going to have to simplify your answer because this is probably more, way more complex. But I mean, with a global organization, distributed workforce, lots of employees, how do you make sure you have a great employee experience when you have, whether it's like remote workers or just offices all over the world? Like, how do you, as a head of HR or as a senior leadership group, how do you bring people together with a great employee experience? Yeah. So, you know, um, I think I'm going to, I'm going to give you two, two thoughts and I will keep it simple. 
Um, first is having a really compelling EVP, an employee value proposition that people can connect to, that they feel a part of, they see themselves in. And it's one that we're going to be, we're just on the cusp of releasing even at Edelman for us, because even though we are an organization that's been around for 70 years, you know, we are, we've just developed our, our EVP through our own employee experience group that does this for our clients. We did it for ourselves. So that's, that's one. I think you've got to have that. I think the second is really important in a hybrid work environment, which many companies, I would say the majority of companies are hybrid versus fully remote or fully in office at this at this point, is to have the reason for your hybrid work environment to connect people, right? So we've come up with the four C's that we talk about regularly, and it's to connect, to collaborate, to co-create, and also to celebrate. And so those are the four C's for us for the hybrid work environment. And so when you, when earlier we talked about your coworkers being such an important part of your community, there's so many C's in our conversation today. You know, it's, it's connecting with others that is so important to people. It's building those relationships. It's like those, you know, knowing that, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, you might be going to their weddings or seeing their kids go to college. And, you know, you want that sense of connection. The second is around collaborating. So true collaboration can happen in many different ways. And we feel like it's really powerful when it's done on a whiteboard in a conference room. Sometimes like you get so many great ideas and that's where the collaborating and co-creating can come in. We're also very much a matrix. And so when individuals, you know, might be traveling in from various places, we just like pull people together and have meetings so that, you know, the matrix kind of comes to life in a more easy way. And the last one, I think a lot of companies just don't focus on is celebrating. And I, you know, we, we recently celebrated our 70th anniversary of Edelman and even on workplace, which is what we use for our social channel internally. There were so many photos that people posted of like cupcakes or like balloons or how they were celebrating 70 years of, of Edelman's history within their offices, but you could see the joy and you could see that like that kind of purpose around pulling people together. It really, it took this almost 7,000 person organization and brought us down into a community that was very powerful and yeah, it was just, it was incredible. Oh, thanks for sharing that. That's great. I love that. Well, Sony, this has been such a fun discussion. I, I kept you a little bit longer than I, I typically would, but I, I just really appreciate the conversation. Where do you want to point people to, whether it's your work, uh, Edelman, anything like that? Yeah, I would say um, feel free to go to our Edelman site on LinkedIn. We do post a lot of great resources there, including information on the trust barometer. Please feel free to follow me as well on social media on LinkedIn. I I post regularly as well. Um, So I'd love to connect with any of you. My guest today has been Sony Bassi. Thank you for being part of Transform Your Workplace. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Brandon. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. 
Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.